Hello and welcome to Chatty AF, the Anime Feminist Podcast. I'm Dee, one of the managing editors at Anifem. You can find all my writings on my blog, The Josie Next Door, and you can also hang out with me on Twitter and Tumblr and kind of Mastodon at Josie Next Door. And I am joined today by my fellow Anifem staffers, Cy and Dr. Alex. Ooh, <laughs> Not officially graduated yet, but I will take it. I will absolutely take it. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Alex. I'm one of the contributions editor here at Anifem. And in my other life, I do research on represent- uh, queer representation rather in young adult fiction. And I'm on Twitter, uh, sporadically, as the aficionado. And hi, everyone. I'm Sai, and I think this is the first time I'm saying that on a podcast recording, and it feels very good. Um, oh, exciting. <laughs> it's really exciting. Um, I am also an editor here at Anime Feminist, as well as a light novel editor and a visual novel editor for Japanese to English media. Yeah. So fancy. I love it. So you guys fancy. have such have such exciting intros. I need to up my game. <laughs> um, so uh, today we are looking at asexual and aromantic representation in Japanese media, uh, which is a mouthful to say. So expect me to use the shorthands ace and arrow for pretty much the entirety of this episode. Mm-hmm. We've actually toyed with doing this episode for literal years. Like Alex and Sai, I don't think you guys were even on the staff the first time it got like pitched in group. Um, But we kept deferring it because I'd be like, okay, so then we'll get to the part of the episode where we talk about canon representation and it'll just be crickets for 15 minutes. That sounds fun. Uh, So we kind of just kept pushing it back, pushing it back. Um, But happily, the past few years have seen some honest to goodness, like explicit Ace and Arrow characters in uh, Japanese media, especially manga. Uh, So we can finally have this chat. Huzzah and hooray. Yay. That having been said, uh, while Ace Arrow visibility has, I would say, significantly increased in recent years, uh, it's still fairly underrepresented and misunderstood as part of the big, colorful queer umbrella. So we figured we'd start this episode by taking some time to give everyone a little 101 lesson, touch briefly on the variety of subcategories that make up the Ace Arrow spectrum. And this part I will be turning over to uh, my research pals. Uh, Alex, do you want to kick us off here? Sure thing. Um, So as much as they are under the big rainbow queer umbrella, as you said, uh, asexual and aromantic are umbrella terms in and of themselves. They encapsulate a lot of different experiences and identification. Um, But if we're grabbing for a broad definition, people usually land on um, experiences little to no sexual attraction for asexuality, and likewise experiences little to no romantic attraction for aromanticism. Now, how do we define romantic attraction and sexual attraction exactly? That is an excellent question. That is one for the philosophers and the queer theorists, the one we would spend probably the whole podcast uh, kind of untangling if we were to get into it. This is one of those things that it, it kind of, and the important thing to remember about these these labels is that they can sort of mean something different to each person. Um, you know, if I say, hey, I am ace, that may, Im, you know, embody totally different from me than it does to the next person. And I think that is one of the really beautiful things about it. Um, both of these uh, identities, they exist on a spectrum. There are many, I guess you could call them micro identities up and down that spectrum, should you want a more specific name for what you're feeling. Um, for example, demisexual or gray sexual or anything else along that. There's a whole wiki full of them um, that we can pop a link in the show notes for if you're interested. Most importantly as well, asexuality and aromanticism aren't the same thing and they don't always go together either. Uh, sometimes they do, of course, but it's never good to assume that a person who is ace is automatically also arrow uh, or vice versa. 
Um, we also go for, again, that broad definition of little to no attraction because it lets you cover a lot of bases and leaves room for nuance. As we may discuss as we get into some of our fictional examples later, some asexual people are really yucked out by sex, even conceptually. Um, to be more official, you might call that being sex repulsed. Uh, but some are still interested, just not quite to the level that's expected from a heteronormative society. That's kind of the important clincher there. And of course, as one of the things you got to remember is that your sexual attraction, your sexual activity, and your actual libido are all different, often interconnected, but different things. Uh, so for example, maybe you get horny, but you're not horny for anyone, um, <laughs> which is a little crass, but I think that explains how some people do experience their aceness. Another kind of thing to touch on at this early stage, um, where we're sort of talking, you know, nutting out these nuances, is that this idea of sexual attraction and romantic attraction, um, again, how exactly you might define them personally may be very different, but they're an important thing to bring up because a lot of Arrow Ace kind of theory and discussion stems from positioning these as separate but interlocking things. This is sometimes called the split attraction model. To use one of our fictional character examples that we're going to come back to later, you may be romantically attracted to people regardless of their gender. You might think, oh, I might, you know, you might get a crush on them, you might want to date them, but you might not feel sexually attracted to anyone. So you might call that being uh, biromantic uh, asexual. Or in the reverse, uh, if you find yourself sexually attracted to people of all shapes and sizes, but you don't tend to fall in love or get crushes or kind of crave that romantic experience with anyone. Uh, you might call yourself aromantic bisexual or pansexual or whatever you feel best describes you. Again, these are spectrums and they're umbrella terms that are meant to capture a lot of possibility. They're not about like nailing down the specifics and really putting yourself in the perfect little box. They're there to provide a variety of language to draw from when you're conceptualizing your identity and expressing how you experience these things differently to, again, what the kind of hetero norm of society expects. Now, I identify as ace, but not as arrow, and while these overlapped, they are happy uh, neighbours in terms of queer identity, but they aren't the same thing. So that's kind of the basic rundown of what being ace is and sort of the way things work, but for an arrow perspective, I would love to hand over to you, Sai. Yeah, so I am someone who identifies as aromantic. I have pretty much my entire life, I just didn't have the words for it. And kind of like what you said, Alex, I think aromanticism and asexuality get conflated. Um, and this is this is something that like I feel is quite common when people talk about it, but they are really distinct and I think that's really important. WebMD curiously describes aromanticism as having little or no romantic attraction to others, but also notes that obviously people who are aromantic may experience sexual attraction and may also experience romantic attraction. You can kind of break this down into aromantic asexuals versus aromantic sexuals. I myself happen to be someone who is an aromantic asexual and I kind of fall across the spectrum. You can also break this down, you can break aromanticism down into many different kind of points on a spectrum. You've got demiromantic, uh, lithoromantic, you've got gay, great aromantic. You've got one that I can't really pronounce, and y'all, I tried so hard, but we're going to see if I can pronounce it right now. Quopio-romantic. That sounds good. Shout out to my quopio-romantic people. And you've got cupio-romantic. And all of these range from demi-romantic being someone who might form romantic feelings after like a significant bond or a really strong emotional foundation, ranging up to people who are cupio-romantic who 
people who might be people who are aromantic but want a romantic relationship. You've got a range of people who they might want a romantic relationship, but when that is realized, the feeling kind of dissipates. And all of these kind of blend together in something that society tends to identify as being prudish or immature. But it's really important to understand that aromantic people aren't that. They're not prudish or immature. Aromanticism is just another form of experience in the world. And it's another form of kind of experiencing romance or, for some people, the lack thereof. One thing that's often conflated with aromanticism as well is being cold or robotic and kind of, you know, being there being this distance because we all live in societies that are very romance oriented. Romance is kind of often in a binary society that is the best thing a cis feminine person or a cis woman can do. Um, that's kind of the peak. And, and aromanticism kind of in and of itself refutes that by its existence, but also kind of explores a wider range of um, intimacy that can range from queer platonic relationships to cohabitation to raising a child together in a relationship where you're best friends, but maybe you love the other person on a platonic level or a filial level, but not a romantic level. It's, uh, it's much like asexuality. It's just a spectrum. And it's, I think it's one that is still struggling in society to be understood on a wider level because society kind of, romance is kind of the peak. Like if you're, I, I am someone who is 30 um, and I have no desire to be married and I'm still told, you know, you'll find the one. And that's mm. kind of, that's kind of a common refute with a romanticism is you'll find the one. I don't want to find the one. I like myself and I'm, I'm happy like that. And I think a lot of aromantic people would also agree. So yeah, that's your little aromanticism 101. <laughs> and uh, good, yeah, good too to note some of those like stigmas and like the specific things that come, which I, I feel like we'll get back to um, as we, oh, as we sure. go further along. And, and to be fair, some ace and arrow people probably are immature and prudish, but it's not because <laughs> they're ace and arrow. Anyone can yeah. be immature and prudish. Anyone. Condition. <laughs> I was going to say, sexuality doesn't mean you have a good personality. <laughs> like, Extremely true. Um, but yeah, no, you, you definitely get that, that conflation of like, um, like, like you said, like the, the image of like the, the cold figure or the idea that it's like the same as being sex negative. I think another thing that's really important to add for both is that people often perceive asexuality and aromanticism as re reactionary things that are triggered by trauma. Mm -hmm. And like, you can be an asexual mm -hmm. person, and I'll, I'll just speak for myself in this example. I'm an asexual person that has a history of sexual assault. I am not asexual because I have a history of sexual assault. I'm asexual right. because I'm asexual. I would be asexual if I had a perfectly mundane life. Um, and, mm -hmm. and for some mm -hmm. people, asexuality might be a factor of a response to trauma, but that is a case-by-case -case basis, and one of the things you can't do with aromanticism or asexuality is conflate someone's past history with why they are or why they identify as something. And that goes for the entire spectrum really? of identity. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, you, you can't, you know, in the same way that um, you, you can't make assumptions about people's background uh, for any sexuality they have, you know, as saying, right. oh, you're obviously ace because this thing happened to you is, you know, it's the same kind of uh, poisonous as saying, oh, well, you're obviously gay because this happened to you, you know? It's, it's all shared. The slippery slope to start assuming that someone is something because of an inciting incident from your perspective, right? It's, it's, mm -hmm. I'm ace because I'm cool. <laughs> <laughs> pieces 
like the like the best character on an anime sports team. Aces are cool. Yeah. <laughs> Every team needs an ace. I wanted real quick to talk a little bit about the linguistic Jap- differences in Japanese versus English, um, which I, you know, folks at home, if you have a, a detailed understanding of this, please do uh, correct me if I if I uh, flub something here. But something that you will come across in manga re- frequently, um, I say frequently, there's not that many stories with ace characters, but a lot of the time in manga, when you come across, they will refer to asexuality and they it kind of gets conflated as asexuality and aromanticism. And it's definitely something I've noticed a couple of times. One of the reasons for that is a, uh, some linguistic differences between. So I did sort of want mm-hmm. to highlight that before we go forward. So for a while, asexual typically meant aromantic asexual. And, and when I say asexual, I mean like the English borrowers, like asexuaru would be aromantic asexual in Japanese. Um, there were Japanese terms, but they don't seem to be in use very much. They were musei and hisei, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but they don't seem like they get used very often. So it seems like for the most part, the English borrowers have kind of been the ones that have taken the forefront. Um, and then for a while, the term uh, non-sexual was used to mean a um, someone who was romantic asexual. And there was no term from what I could tell. <laughs> Our poor allosexual aromantics. There was no term for that, and I don't. I don't want to forget about y'all. Nobody on this call is allosexual romantic. Wait, sorry, the other way around. Aromantic allosexual, but I don't want to forget about y'all. Y'all are also valid. But like, I couldn't really find any Japanese terms for that. It was just aromantic asexual and romantic asexual. From what I've seen in in newer writings from like 2020 forward, it does seem like the term non-sexual is falling out of usage. And they're starting to use asexual and aromantic in ways that are similar to the way they're being used in the U.S. Yeah, uh, Sai, I know you lived in Japan for a few years. I don't know if you encountered this language at all while you were there. Yeah, so here's here. It's it's interesting because while I lived in Japan, I did encounter asexual, and and I would say from a Western perspective, asexual and aromantic at the time when I lived in Japan, so 2016 to 2020, were, from my point of view, very conflated. It's kind of like, it's, it's kind of interesting because we've seen the same thing happening with ex-gender be, being used in English parlance, which is, I think, ex-gender gets conflated with androgyny, whereas in Japan, ex-gender would be more, from my perspective, equated to being a gender. And so you kind of see this interesting thing that happens with asexual being used to kind of represent two groups under the kind of ace umbrella, which which I, I think can be quite confusing because mm-hmm. from, an, from a North American perspective and specifically an American perspective, asexuality and aromanticism are so distinct for me. Mm-hmm. Mm, so yeah, you're 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 pretty you're pretty on it. Yeah, and um, and I start, I kind of wonder if if the the situation right now and the reason it, it is kind of getting lumped together is because non sexual started to fall out of usage, but aromantic like it's taking a while to get into usage. So yeah. during that like transition period, uh, asexual just kind of ended up meaning both ace and ace arrow. Yeah. Um, so you'll you'll often see it used, and you know there's there can definitely be that moment when you're reading where you're like, well, don't forget that these two are different, that these are like unique, separate things, and don't always come together. But it's it's just it's just a a part of the language as languages uh, consistently and constantly changing. So we'll we'll see if it continues to shift going forward. Actually, there's some really great news out of Japan concerning aromanticism being used on a wider scale. So oh, yeah? in 2022, NHK, which is Japan's biggest broadcasting like network it's 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 a huge thing um began airing the sh- the tv drama 
Koisen Futari, which basically oh, yeah, is like the two, aren't, the two are, aren't in love. And it is mm-hmm. a show that focuses on an aromantic female protagonist and like overtly aromantic female protagonist. So like, I am sure that people have started to hear that term. And I, I would expect in the next few years there to be kind of the delineation that happens with English of asexual of asexuality being here, aromanticism being here, and understanding the crossover and kind of interplay. I fully expect to see those loan words becoming much more prominent, uh, and I, that's exciting. That's really great. I love it. And it's important to recognize too that, like, even in the English language, uh, you know, context, uh, the discussion around asexuality and aromanticism is, in the grand scheme of you know history, relatively new. Um, which, of mm, course, gosh, you know, yeah. is kind of kind of one of the reasons. Uh, among others, that it can be uh, dismissed and discounted is because its kind mm-hmm. of rise in the development of this discourse and these labels is sort of coincides with the rise of internet culture. Um, and so you get that classic argument like, ah, this, this is just teens making this up on the internet. It's not real, which is, of course, a silly thing to say. That is my professional sure, opinion. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but one of the really interesting things is that, yeah, this terminology and the different things that it can mean to different people and in different contexts, it's in flux and it's developing. And hey, someone might listen to this podcast in five or 10 or 15 years. And these terms, you know, the, the context around them might be totally different because mm. the discussion may have continued to evolve. And we may have come up with, you know, new words or new developments of these words. And uh, you know, it's it's never static. So again, I'm I'm going why I've gone for such sort of broad uh, divisions and definitions is because it is something that's flexible, and that is something that I find really interesting and actually really useful about it. Mm, for sure, I you know I was thinking as we were kind of giving the notes together, I was thinking about my own kind of understanding stemming from a lot of learning through like educational blogs on Tumblr, and I will also say learning through Queer as Cat who they are a person living in Japan, at least as I, as far as I remember when I interacted in, with them, they are a person living in Japan, a Black um, person living in Japan who identifies as Maverick, which is specifically a Black-coded gender identity, but also, you know, one of the kind of the spectrum. And I remember learning a lot about asexuality and aromanticism from them, as well as kind of Tumblr. And like at that time when I was learning, demisexuality and like gray sexualities were kind of conflated and so there's been this separation that i've seen so yeah it is it is always moving and i think that's kind of the great thing about sexuality these terms kind of like move in flux the language is changing people are becoming more aware of this and trying to like figure out like where the divisions are and how to explain like this is my experience of Mm -hmm. these different feelings and these relationships and so it's it can be a little overwhelming i think but it is um it's very exciting to see because i think like you know i mean 10 years ago i was basically just learning the word asexual and and now there's like you get online and there's there's so many resources and there's comic characters there's characters in my shows who identify under these terms and it's 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 very heartening to see yeah but you know for for quite a while there oh also i didn't say this you guys very elegantly laced in your identities while you were doing the 101 stuff and i didn't mention at all i am ace i am not arrow i don't like talking about myself so we're gonna move on (laughs) that's okay we can frame this nicely in the in fiction and then hide behind that (laughs) yeah yeah i'll talk i'll talk i'll talk characters all day let's do it yeah yeah so the first thing i wanted to to talk about before we get into some of the more like recent canonical like explicit representations 
is that, you know, for a long time, if you wanted to find your Ace Era rep in fiction, you had to find it in coding. And I would say that anime and manga is, despite having a reputation for being extremely horny, which it can be, I also think it can be a really easy place to find Ace Arrow rep because there's a lot of yeah. series where romantic relationships or sex or what you know don't necessarily come up. You have a lot of like nebulous, intimate relationships that don't necessarily have labels or characters aren't smooching on screen. So you mm-hmm. can kind of I mean for the same reason that you get a lot of people shipping characters in in romantic relationships in these series, you can also, I think, read it as like the you can kind of see maybe the relationship you are looking for that you maybe don't see on, let's say, American television for teens, which is often uh, very focused on uh, sex and romance. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so I wanted to kind of talk about, like, is that something that, do you feel like that's maybe something that drew you guys to anime and manga? Was that ability to, like, find those those relationships that were lauded as being equally important as, like, a romantic relationship amongst characters? I'm in a position, I'm of two minds, like, I would love to say yes, but Mm -hmm. I think for me, realistically, growing up in a society where romance is the thing you do, I I don't know if I consciously, if I consciously recognize that that's why I liked certain characters, or that's what drew me to anime and manga. I would Mm -hmm. say now, yeah, for sure, I, I love being able to find characters that I can kind of vibe with, because I can see the aceness and the arrowness, but I, I think growing up what drew me was just like I liked series where romance wasn't the focus Uh and thankfully there's so many (laughs) but there's also a lot that's not right and so like it it, it is kind of like a difficult one but I think I think now for sure that's a draw I think you've written about this before D so I'm not this is not to steal your thunder this is to like draw on your own great ideas as you say there are there's a lot of horny rom-coms out there for sure But likewise, I think I've found, at least I sort of remember picking up on this when I was, for example, a teenager watching anime, is a lot of like the way that romance is constructed in a lot of uh, anime is often kind of like slow burn and I don't know, there's often a lot of emphasis placed on like, (gasps) we touched hands or (gasps) an indirect (laughs) kiss, like, you know, like really, I don't know, putting intimacy on quite a high, like, (gasps) that's really exciting and oh my god um as opposed to taking it as something like for granted like I don't know and maybe that's not necessarily the ace coding of those characters but something about that kind of spoke to me and even um (laughs) okay so and at, at the risk of maybe being a cliche I often find myself also relating to characters who um often in comedic situations kind of forget that sex exists and sort of just like miss an innuendo or miss the connotations of a situation. I'm thinking specifically mm-hmm. of the I think it's the second volume of the Kase San and uh, books. Um, which to be clear, I'm not necessarily reading those characters <laughs> as ace. I think uh, that series makes it quite frank and quite refreshingly clear that they are very attracted to each other, as we've had oh, some right about yes. for the site. But there's a bit, I think, in volume two where Yamada invites her girlfriend over and she's like, oh, it'll be great, great, we'll hang out. My parents aren't going to be home. And unbeknownst, she's like planning a like a cake and like them hanging out in her room having tea. But the girl, Kase, girlfriend is like, oh my God, her parents aren't going to be home. Does that mean, does that mean, does that mean? And just turns up and like, yeah. we're kind of awkward, anxious about it. And then eventually is able to communicate that to Yamada and Yamada goes, oh, what? Oh, 
I didn't even think, oh my God, and is completely like so embarrassed. And they have a good laugh about it. But just, I just remember reading up being like, that happened to me. <laughs> That's real. Yeah, it's, That's it's, real right now. <laughs> that scene really, that, that really actually kind of like accents the, the kind of like relatability factor that I think is necessary in coding because like I remember reading that and being like, oh, oh, other people do this. Other people forget <laughs> about sex. Like other people mm-hmm. are just like, oh, I'm stoked to have someone come over because I'm going to try this cake. <laughs> and like they, they just mean cake. It's, the cake is not a euphemism. I wasn't thinking about kissing at all. <laughs> kissing this delicious cake maybe right (laughs) yeah uh yeah so no i i I agree i think you know i i I have written about this i'll plug it in the show notes um but that sense of like the relationship the culmination of the relationship is i like you i like you too let's hold hands and maybe we'll kiss once and it'll be really chaste and then the end credits will happen and i was like what a perfect relationship (laughs) (laughs) And I, you know, so I definitely enjoyed that in a lot of media, um, in a lot of anime and, and like in so many of the action series where there's like a relationship, but it's not the focus. There's also like all these like super important, like familial or friendship bonds Mm -hmm. and, and your, you know, brothers in arms. And again, there's a lot of shipping in here and don't, don't get me wrong. I I also shipped on occasion, Mm -hmm. but that, that level of all these different relationships, like made it feel like you weren't like being forced to fall in love. Like it gave, it felt like there were a lot of options, which was Mm -hmm. nice. I do think, I mean, you know, obviously I I don't want to stand here being like such great representation because obviously this was, this was reading, this was pure coding and most of it, I shouldn't say most of it, at least some of it was not intentional, but, and I, I think you do run into that issue sometimes with some of these shows where there's no sex, like, like the characters are functionally like 10 younger maybe you know what mm-hmm. i mean like yeah so you would hope <laughs> well no i mean like i mean like the characters are high schoolers but they're they're acting like they're much like the complete ah. unawareness of right. sexuality yes. I what you mean. period mm-hmm. i think can be can be something that there's there's this very fine line there right because like on the one hand especially with shows where it's like overwhelmingly a female cast as much as i enjoy watching those intimate relationships play out there is also that element of like treating women treating especially cis women as like sexless beings right mm-hmm. yeah so it's that very it's that it's that careful line there where like as much as 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 much as that can as i think that can have like a great appeal to people there is also that element of like well we also need stories that discuss sexuality and then have characters within those casts who are uninterested so mm-hmm. that we're yeah. not just painting a an unrealistic picture of existence i guess <laughs> Exactly, because I, I think I think one of the things that when it comes to asexuality is like asexuality can be represented via the lens of sex. It's how you engage with talking about it. Like there are people who are asexual that are sex repulsed. There are people who are asexual that like routinely engage in having sex for, you know, whatever personal reason. And I do agree. I think sometimes when you have a cast of like all girls and none of they're just like the most chaste lilies in the garden. It yeah. feels kind of infantilizing. None of, them, none of them even know what sex is. They're all pretty sure that babies are delivered via stork, right? Yeah, <laughs> like like you go to the cabbage patch and pick a child. Like it's it's yeah. just not and good. Infantilizing just... is the word. Yes, thank you. That yeah, I was I was looking yeah. for that and couldn't find it earlier. But yeah, so you you really do have to like be careful of that line and like. Be willing to acknowledge that while also enjoying the stories for what they are, you know. Because for as much as I don't like a society that pushes sex and romance as the the end all be all, 
Mm-hmm. I don't think it's fair to also say the best way to live is be chased until you meet the one. Nah, nah. Yeah. Some people don't want to do that. <laughs> like some people don't want to do that. Throw that out. Throw it in the garbage. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. absolutely. It is again. It is important not to not to conflate like asexuality or aromanticism with like being a prude, being like like that kind of puritanical idea of like sex is bad. Um, yeah. That's not you know that's that's not the goal here. Um, if you it's don't enjoy bad. that in your media. Hey, that's a hundred percent fine, but that doesn't mean like it is inherently a bad thing in media. So, yeah. mm-hmm. but I did want to ask you guys, I thought mm. this would be fun. Some of your favorite or more resonant, like ace and or arrow coded characters in media, like, like characters who you went, it just vibed for you. And it wasn't like, you know, explicit in narrative, but you were like this person, this person. Yeah. They're on my level. Oh, Okay. You want to go that first, Doctor really... Alex? <laughs> That's a really good because I've been I I've been trying to think. I'm like again, there have been a lot of situations where I've been able to kind of, um, like I said, sort of read my own experiences into characters. But I really struggled, weirdly enough, to come up with a character that I would like head canon or really resonated with me as as Ace. Mm-hmm. I did see some actually. Oh my god, I think this was you again, D. <laughs> So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm good. The source of all my good ideas in this section, um, Nozaki of Nozaki couldn't. I think you, or at least like general fandom discussion around that, was like, I think it'd be really funny if he was Arrow Ace because that would be one of the many uh, ironies of the series. Is that this romance author does not experience romantic attraction? And I was like, that would be extremely funny. And also, the more I thought about it, the more it made sense. So let me log that one. Um, which again is in the context of a rom-com, which is kind of interesting that I keep coming back to that. But I don't know. Again, the irony value of like characters in a rom-com, you know, being any kind of arrow ace is just, is kind of delightful to me. <laughs> I like that. I, I feel, so the first example that pops into mind for me is a video game character, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is Setsu from the game Noja, who also like gets some rep for being a genderqueer character, which like cool. we stand. And I mean, like they're they're they it, it, within the game, you do have romance with them, but like it's very clearly a sexless romance. Like there's a passionate love and bond, but like sex is just not something that's on the table. And I actually mm-hmm. really respect that. I also want to double down with Nozaki. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that'd be great if Nozaki Kun was Arrow and Ace. That would be so great. What a, what a twist for the final volume. What a twist for the final volume. Like, I would feel so bad for the main the main girls. Is her name Sakura? Yep. Um, yeah. 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 Yeah, but well, maybe, also... Maybe it's a learning experience for <laughs> it's her. It's a learning experience. <laughs> I mean, how many of us are going to marry our high school crushes anyway? Yeah, so, true. It'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, so you mentioned there's a sort of a genderqueer uh, character as well, Sai. Uh, I mean, shout out while we're here mm-hmm. to Land of the Lustrous, where like sex and romance are just not a factor in what's going on. You can't have sex and lust when you keep getting shattered. Yeah, I was going to say, they're also rocks. Um, I know, and that's, again, one of those areas where coding, where it's like, you know, the reading the coding, but also understanding like, maybe not explicit representation because of the yeah. inherent issues with inhuman characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, you can definitely vibe with the relationships in that one for sure. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's the, it's interesting, which I won't spend too much time in this because we've kind of, you touched on it before actually Sai earlier, the idea of like asexuals and aromantic people as like cold and robotic. Um, as a, if you want a mm-hmm. fun citation, Julie Sandra Decker in her book, the invisible orientation, she talks about the aliens and robots problem 
where a lot of the characters, she, yeah. she's speaking in the context of English language media, of course, but mm-hmm. a lot of the characters who have kind of been famously read and adopted as Arrow and or Ace are often aliens or robots. So they're like, oh, yeah. I haven't been programmed with romantic attraction, beep boop, or like this doesn't exist on my planet or, you know, which is interesting and kind of complicated because there is a lot there to love and, again, to see yourself in these characters, but it's the... The repetition of them always being inhuman or, you know, most commonly being inhuman for a certain time of history that creates that issue. Well, and I think of like none other than like if we want if we want an unfortunate example, Ace and Arrow rep, I think of none other than Cube, who oh. is <laughs> That's not what right. I yeah, I yeah, you didn't you didn't you didn't expect that, did you? I <laughs> like, did not see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I like that was the first time kind of I think subconsciously where I was like, oh, this character just exists here. And like they're kind of like me because growing up, growing up in college, I had a lot of feelings of feeling like a robot. And I was called quite prudish. Um, and that is why I think I did what other thing what other people you know you're supposed to do in land and like certain steps in relationships because i was afraid of being a robot and a prude and i remember having this like kind of numbing realization of like oh i'm kind of like you this character that's completely sexless has no drive for anything but logic that's i'm so sorry that's where you felt seen it really messed me (laughs) up i was like oh no i'm gonna start i'm gonna start harvesting souls (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, like, yeah, but I, I mean, like, that is a character that I think of when you think of, like, the robots and aliens of, like, this character that's very mechanical. Um, and if we want to go to, like, Western media, I think Sheldon from Big Bang Theory is often one that's uh-huh. used, which, like, I'm sorry to Aces and Arrows. We don't deserve that. <laughs> but, like, you know, he often gets used for asexual and aromantic relationships. And you see this kind of repetition, like you said, of characters being robotic or like alien or foreign in some way to like what we associate as humanity and yeah Kyube is one that uh stands out as like a bad a bad version of that that made me feel very bad (laughs) yes oh man and yeah and like the even if it's a human character like you say the trope of them being very cold and logical and oh they just hate people so obviously they so i mean i won't go too much into that i will put a sneaky plug for a journal paper that i wrote in 2019 where i talk more about this uh-huh. um so i'll puff a, um and i talk about a couple of young adult novels that kind of subvert that and have very human ace protagonists but uh yep that's a that's a tangent for your reading pleasure dear viewer we'll pop that in the yeah. show notes yeah well because it, it i mean it comes down it comes to that idea of like you can't feel love and this idea that love mm-hmm. always means romantic love and that mm-hmm. sucks so, it, sucks. Yeah. it sucks because there's yeah. so many other kinds of love that are just as valuable. Exactly. And there's so many of them in anime and manga, which is something Hot I adore. Take. Hot uh-huh. take. There's some forms of love that are more important than romantic love. <laughs> or at I, least, I mean, I don't I don't think we should have a, a hierarchy, but equally important. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, yeah okay. E- equally important. And I will say that that is partially my own personal feeling with my own engagement with aromanticism. And I think it's partially mm-hmm. because like having romantic love forced as the most important like it does forego these other really powerful forms of love that are necessary yeah Yeah. no that has always frustrated me deeply to the point where like i've tried to scrub the the phrase just friends from my vocabulary because i think that just is very diminutive Mm -hmm. of the like very strong relationships i have with my friend family and uh, yeah, I, I I also hate that idea and, and try to push back on that. So I feel you absolutely. Yeah. Sorry, you. I think you were going to ask me a question before I jumped in on the convo. I was going to ask what character you think 
is good coding. Coding wise? Oh, yeah. I have a whole ass list. I'll give it to me. <laughs> um, it was funny. I was putting it together and I realized other than mine from a sense of a bookworm, the main character of that, of the light novel series, um, other mm-hmm. than her, all of my like main ones are guys. And I think that's because, well, and here's why. Here's why I think that is, is because in fiction, there is an expectation that, and, and in fairness, pretty much all of the ones I'm going to be talking about are ace-coded, not necessarily arrow-coded, although a few of them, debatable. And that's because, you know, I'm, I'm, looking, for, I'm looking for myself when I'm, right, when right, I'm reading right. these codings. So, so I'll, try to, I'll try to make sure that I specify as I'm, as I'm talking about this. But there is an expectation among girls in society, but also that gets into media, that they not necessarily be interested in sex. So I think that even though there are a ton of shoujo heroines who I could very very easily read as asexual. My brain doesn't want to do that because my brain acknowledges like, well, no, they're, it's, it's socially, they're supposed to, these are what heroines are, is that they're supposed to be like this. Yeah. And so um, it's, you know, it's that, it's that old one, two punch of sure sexism and queer phobia. So yeah. So when I was putting this list together, I was like, you know, I know there are girl characters and I did I did want to give a shout out to mine from a sense of a bookworm um, mm-hmm. I have lovingly described uh, a sense of a bookworm as the epic story of two asexual nerds whose hobby projects keep getting interrupted by politics <laughs> and I think that is I think that is extremely apt because both mine and Ferdinand are like the, like there's characters in the story who are like who fall in love and there's like little crushes and romances that sort of are in the margins of the story but mine and Ferdinand have zero interest they just want to they just want to do their hobby projects mine wants books Ferdy wants research um please please stop stop forcing him to get married for political reasons I genuinely <laughs> love that <laughs> so I do I do love I do love that for them and then I've, I won't talk about this too much here because I have written about this and talked about it on other podcasts but uh Sunakawa Makoto from my love story is I think a very good ace arrow rep character um, he is Takeo's BFF mm-hmm. and like explicitly has conversations in the story about like it's not like I'm opposed to falling in love but like it's just never happened for me and like goes on dates with some nice girls and just like none of this is clicking for me um, and ends the story single like I thought for sure they'd do a postscript where he like went to college and like found the one nope single all the way through very excited for Suna so Suna Suna is is canon ace uh, and you can pry that one from my cold, dead hands. <laughs> um, uh, I've also talked about the protagonist who has many names, um, but we'll call him Bone from Showa Genroku Rakugo Shinju, uh, one of my all-time favorite anime. His, I would, I read him as asexual, biromantic because he has very intimate relationships with uh, both a man and a woman in the show. But like any time. And the story does touch on sex, and he is like deeply uncomfortable with it every single time it happens. So I I vibe extremely hard with him as well. I like to say the entire cast of Pandora Hearts is asexual because it is once again a lot of characters in nebulous relationships with really passionate feelings about each other, saying those passionate feelings very loudly, but nobody ever says love or kisses. So read those however you want. (laughs) Everyone should read Pandora Hearts, by the way. It's a big, beautiful mess. And then I get here, guys. Somebody set a timer. I get sixty seconds to talk about Pokemon. Okay. Okay. Sixty I'm seconds. Count- <laughs> okay. All right. I am counting. Okay. A cool thing. Maybe, maybe I might need two minutes. Okay. A no, cool you thing said sixty about seconds. Pokemon, I know. A cool thing about Pokemon is that because so much of the cast is very young, and the show does not like really do explicit 
romances, there's a lot of coding involved and especially, but like, there's still like pretty much every character under 15, it's, there's a lot of just like coding as to whether or not they have a crush on somebody. And it's not, none of it's like explicit. And they did that because they're kids, which is fine. Kids should be kids. Figure your stuff out, kids. Older characters typically will have some kind of a crush or romantic entanglement at some point in the story. Except for my two boys. My dapper son, Silen, from Black and White is Ace Arrow. I am absolutely positive of that. He has so many hobbies, and he will tell you all about them, and he has absolutely zero interest in romance at any point. And my second one is James from Team Rocket. Yes, I am prepared to die on this hill. James is Ace. Thank you. My time oh, is wow. You still have like 10 seconds. I'm so okay. proud of you. <laughs> I'm proud of me, too. Good job, team. I kept you. my Pokemon chatter to a bare minimum. <laughs> We gotta get you a Patreon bonus episode where you're just free to talk about Pokemon. We gotta do that if we haven't already. We gotta. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can I can then outline for you why I can then outline for you how after a thousand episodes I am absolutely dead convinced that James is asexual. Um You know I what? I, I, I doubled I, I stand with you on that one. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Excellent. Thousand plus episodes, I'm just saying. Uh, okay. But that it's having been said, did you guys have any other <laughs> Any other coding? I, I, I rambled for a bit there because I, I had those in my catalog. You, you came with a list prepared, I think. That- I was going to say, you were ready. <laughs> I really liked, yeah, I've been blogging for a while, so ace coding is something I've kind of had in my in my brain for a bit here. I love it, though. And I love that. The more discussions around this, the more, you know, the world opens up. And I do actually, I do love that so many of them are boys because you, at least, I mean, at least in terms of the context that I'm most familiar with, you tend to see more commonly uh, female like ace characters and sort of Mm -hmm. um, like male ace protagonists are less common. So I don't know. That's, that's neat to me. I dig that. Mm, I do too. And I, I like it too, because it kind of subverts this, this expectation of like men in, in this context, I mean, cis men will grow out of it and they'll do the deed eventually become like a real man when like yeah. oh that's so uh, that's so tired uh it's yeah there's there's <laughs> there's a, a different layer of pressure on men to be sexual right mm-hmm. like outwardly openly aggressively sometimes um because toxic masculinity is a hell of a drug um yeah. which we'll be talking about with one of these series in our final category here we wanted to spend some time on some representations of characters who are like explicitly and canonically asexual and aromantic. Yeah. Obviously we're not going to be able to touch on everything. So folks, whatever we've missed, just tell us in the comments, recommend stuff to us. It'll be great. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to, we're focusing on manga and we're going to hit up a few titles here. This will be like probably one part recommendation, one part discussion. And truthfully, we could probably spend a whole nother episode on some of these series. For sure. Uh, which we actually have done with two of them. So I'll st- well, let's go ahead and start with these two and just kind of direct people to other podcasts. We did a whole episode on Our Dreams at Dusk, and we did a- we did two episodes on sex at 120%. Both of them feature uh, characters who are uh, asexual, aromantic. However, Sai, you weren't on either of those episodes, so I am kind of curious. Um, so Our Dreams at Dusk, the asexual character is someone-san who is also a ex-gender. Um, I want to make yeah. sure I use their terminology, not ours, um, which you're going to see that as a trend in this is that there are a lot of um, Ace Arrow characters who are also fuzzy on gender. And gosh, I think that could be another entire podcast. To oh, talk yeah. about. oh, my gosh, it could. Someone saw in, in North American like terminology is just like me, a triple A. That's right. <laughs> a gender, asexual <laughs> and aromantic. <laughs> 
I've been holding that in this entire time. Um, AAA. I love it. Yeah. And so like I, someone's on is actually really a character that opened me up to the fact that I started kind of the process of me realizing that I was a gender. Um, mm-hmm. They kind of planted that seed of X gender because our dreams at dusk was coming out while I was in Japan. And so I I read it while I was abroad and I was just like, oh, wow, <laughs> I really vibe with this character who's like asexual and aromantic and oh. <laughs> and so like, I think they're a really good representation of this kind of beautiful kind of gray area that, that can mm-hmm. occur when asexuality, when, when sexuality and gender as a whole kind of combine. I really like someone's on. I think they're really... Um, ephemeral in this really mm-hmm. particular way that gender often feels to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, two thumbs up, two a two a sexual and aromantic thumbs up. <laughs> I'm glad you. Yeah, I think my my only my one thing with someone's on is because they are there's very little of the story that is told from their perspective. They're one of those characters where I kind of wish we had one more volume because I think getting yeah. more about them would have been good. Because our protagonist, he sort of sees them as um, very, like, mysterious and can't mm-hmm. quite figure them out. And and they kind of enjoy that. You get the sense that they kind of like being a little yeah. bit enigmatic. No, it's to, I, it's very fun to me too. Like, but but you know, I, I could I could see there being some some critiques of that. But I also yeah. love it for Kamatani, the mangaka who is also a triple A. Yeah, um, <laughs> and, I, and I, I think and Jim, and- them kind of writing themselves into the into the series. I think if I did have to critique someone's on it, is the ephemerality because like it kind of makes them feel like they're not quite human. And mm-hmm. that was yeah. something I, and I, I wrote about this actually recently when I talked about legally changing my name and, and publicly coming out via talking about it through Anifem. And mm-hmm. one of the things I really struggled with was the fact that I kind of felt unreal about mm-hmm. completely divorcing myself from gender. And I think that's the risk with someone's on is that the asexuality is great. The aromanticism is great, but there's a risk of there's a risk of making it feel and even even though the author themselves is ex gender as well there's a risk of like i fear that someone's on is a little too not there um mm-hmm. even though that's kind of the point and like you said they kind of like playing with that it it yeah. does kind of bring this almost fantasy fey like kind of like mm-hmm. aura Absolutely, that yeah. that like you know agender gender people exist chances are we all know someone who's a gender they just haven't told us because that's none of our business <laughs> and like <laughs> you know it's it's that kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Well, and I think there's even a there's even a moment in it's been a couple of years since I've read the manga, but mm. I think there's even a moment where the main character is like, "Oh, so you're like this because you're asexual gender." And someone's on like laughs and is like, "No, I'm like this cuz I'm me." Like, this yeah. is, do not do not take this to be like like all all people who, you know, experience sex and romance and gender the way I do are exactly like me and so i did appreciate the series like having that element of it as well i I don't know what you're talking about as soon as i came out as non-binary i gained the ability to float out of windows um really they need to upgrade teens and give them sage advice like isn't that something we can all can you pass can you pass on the whatever that trick was maybe it's maybe it's just the air in australia i don't know (laughs) (laughs) it's more buoyant here you're on, you're closer to Japan, so I don't know. Maybe that's just a thing on that side of the world. <laughs> I will say, in regards to uh, Kashiwa from Sex Ed, one hundred twenty percent, because I also wasn't on that episode. Um, I think she's great. I I see so much of my teenage self in her. 
which may or may not be good. Um, you no, know, Kashi was the stealth protagonist of sex at 120%, so I don't think that's I don't think that's a bad thing at all. Yeah, um, like I like, love this child so much. They're great. <laughs> My favorite teenager to ever be in a manga. It's great. She's she's very fun. Yeah, I um she's I love how I love how not I love how sex positive she is while having mm. no interest in it, right? Like she yeah. I think she does a good job of 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 what's the word I'm looking for bucking that stereotype. Yeah, and yeah, she's very sure. comfortable with she's very comfortable with who she is. Like mm-hmm. she's very unbothered. She's just like here's some animal facts. Here you go. Here's a pamphlet. And it's just like completely she's herself and I really respect that. I really hope a teenager mm-hmm. gets their hands on this manga and like actually sees that you can know a truth about yourself at that age. I think that's really good. Yeah, yeah, she is so so comfortable in her skin and god bless her for it. right when do, when do i get to feel that comfortable in my skin like how do i become a kashua well <laughs> i i mean i would say you might need to start <laughs> i was gonna say you need to start talking about animal genitalia more often but i don't know if that's I just a need to get solution. i just need to get really really into biology <laughs> Yes, that's, that's the answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I think I think Kashi was a very nice bit of. I, you know, I always hesitate to talk about good versus bad rep, and we're gonna the the deeper we get down this list, I think the more we're gonna we're gonna want to push back against those labels mm-hmm. because sure. I like characters who feel like humans. I think that's very mm-hmm. important, and I think sometimes with when you talk about like good representation, you're talking about like scrubbing all imperfections from a human um, so that they aren't really people anymore. Um, and I think there is something to be said for having idyllic, idyllic fiction, but I also think that those like more grounded, messy portrayals are vitally important. Um, so it's nice to have Kashua, who, who, who is really a very chill character, who, like I said, I describe as the stealth protag because she's <laughs> the one who kind of comes up with the big project that wraps up the series and um, is very focused on like making sure that everybody feels comfortable and accepted and 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 willing to like yeah yeah included exactly yeah so speaking of characters that may or may not be perceived as uh, that we might have to push back against the good versus bad let's talk about a a big ball of mess let's talk about yeah let's talk about i want to be a wall let's talk about the mess that is yuriko (laughs) who i do like very much because i think i think i think both of you know because that that is that is the manga that i used for the impetus of talking about my name change and talking i guess subsequently about gender and sexuality so like i have Mm -hmm. strong feelings (laughs) i think i like yuriko a lot because i see a lot of my 20s in her being really into boys love which is kind of also what helped me kind of discuss sexuality but like also um kind of just trying to be myself within a society that really wants and expects certain things out of you Mm -hmm. um i like her a lot i think she's a very very human example kind of kind of like kashu i think she's a really human example but i'm really Mm -hmm. curious to know what you two feel i was sort of I liked the. F- I've only read the first volume of this, to be fair, which I did enjoy. Yeah, that was actually. But I, was- I was gonna ask. Oh yeah. Sai, have you read both volumes one and two? I have. Okay, me too. Well, I mean, there, there's not. We, we're not going to spoil anything for you, mm-hmm. Alex. Yeah. I'm sure there's not anything but, like um, super, super world shaking that happens in volume two. It feels like a fairly slow burn. Anyway, um, her whole shtick of her being like, you know, basically shipping her husband with his best friend in real life. That. Mm-hmm. Eh, that eked me out a little bit I will say but when it actually kind of peeled back from the slapstick comedy of that 
And I found it really fascinating, actually, that bit where she's talking about why she likes BL so much as opposed to, I think someone asks her, oh, why don't you read Yuri or, you know, MF stuff? And she goes, well, if they're both men, then I can't kind of relate to them anyway. And so mm-hmm. seeing them together in a sexual situation, it's nothing I'm going to relate to in the first place. So I'm not going to feel alienated by it in the same way mm-hmm. that she might feel alienated if there was a female protagonist in there somewhere and she didn't relate to them, which I found I hadn't sort of thought of in those terms before, but I found really fascinating and yeah, really added some great grounding to her whole, um, you know, her whole kind of, I don't want to say gimmick, but at times it feels a bit, you know, the running gag, I guess, of her being a big mm-hmm. uh, BL fangirl uh, to the point where it like, impacts her IRL relationships. And yeah, that, that nice thread of nuance to why it was meaningful to her. Yeah, I, I feel like it started with the joke of she's a BL fangirl and she's living with a, a gay guy who has a, you know, a, an unrequited crush. And then very quickly the series went, this isn't really a joke series, though. Um, we're going <laughs> to actually dig into them as people and, and what their relationship will look like now that they're in this, this like, this, this marriage that is looks a lot more like what a arranged marriage from like a hundred years ago would look like, you know what I mean? Or even further back than that at this point. (laughs) And it's, I find this series very, very fascinating. I think it does a very good job of humanizing uh, both Yuriko and uh, Gakurota, who we won't spend a ton of time on him just because this is the ACE episode. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I, the, the voyeuristic element early on, I, I agree with you. I absolutely do not care for, I think it is a problem. Um, I do like that it's part of the manga. Yeah, for sure. I do appreciate that it doesn't really push on it very hard. And honestly, after the first chapter or two, it kind of drops almost completely. Um, (laughs) Like it's, it becomes less about her, like, again, like having like almost like fetishizing her, uh, I keep wanting to call him her roommate. What is a husband if not a roommate, right? I mean, you're not wrong. Um, but like it, it stops being that and more being her genuinely, you know, supporting him and um, like sympathizing with, with this unrequited crush he has. Yeah. So I like that about it. The second volume goes more into using fiction to kind of understand each other. Uh, which mm-hmm. I think is interesting. And again, Alex, no spoilers, um, but kind of talking about like how Yuriko enjoys fiction with romance in it, even though, and sex, even though she is neither romantic nor sexual. And like part of that being an interest in understanding other people and just empathy in terms of like being excited and happy for the people around you having relationships, even if those aren't the kind of relationships you personally want mm-hmm. or experience. Um, so I liked that element of it as well. I enjoy I Want to Be a Wall. Are you guys as terrified as me as how this series is going to end? A little because bit. A little bit. I don't, I don't know how it ends happily for both of them. I'm a, I'm a little bit, but I'm going to, uh, I believe as the, as the Zoomers say, I'm going to trust the process. Yeah, I think that's fair. Is that something the uh, Zoomers Alex, say? Alex, how about you? <laughs> it's something I see on TikTok a lot. I don't know if that's what they say. <laughs> um, I don't know how it's going to end. This is one of those ones that could kind of go on for a hundred volumes, just like slow burn describing their mm-hmm. uh, weird platonic married life. Yeah, I hope or it, it could be a super kind of quickly wrapped up. I really have no idea. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just kind of, 
open and <laughs> just waiting to see, really, and hoping that it's a happy resolution for both of them. I, I don't imagine that yeah. they will have the power within them to, you know, change society and make their kind of fake marriage less necessary. But I kind of hope mm-hmm. that, I don't know, they will be able to find some form of happiness outside yeah. of that structure that they've felt that they've had to hide in. I don't know. I'm I'm genuinely really curious and I'm just I'm just gonna see. I'm just gonna let it wash over me and see what happens. Yeah. yeah. I'm I'm sort of prepared to be devastated because like you get to the end of the first volume and they've they've hit this point where they've developed this like they're starting to develop this like very much partnership of equals where they're like taking care of chores. They're develop they're starting to develop like an emotional closeness and learning about each other. And this continues into the second volume, although I won't again won't get into details. And I'm watching it like, this is kind of my ideal relationship. And then I'm like, <laughs> but it's not fair to him. Like, I feel like Yuriko's, you know, because Gakudoto does want a romantic, I, I assume both, I assume he is both, um, like, we know he's gay. I assume he is both, like, homosexual and homoromantic. Um, the yeah. series doesn't make that distinction with him, but it se- that seems to be the case. Like, he desires that relationship. And so there's definitely that part of me that's like, Yuriko's getting maybe the better end of this bargain, and I would like him to find a relationship that is also the relationship that he wants, you know? So I have a lot of conflicted feelings about it, because I'm worried that either he's going to end the series resigned to pining forever, or he's going to find somebody, and then Yuriko will be alone. And then I will be sad for her. You know what? Maybe this is a chance. Listen to me, Japan. This is a chance for making it Polly. (laughs) I mean, like, I, cause I feel like, I feel like in a dream world, that's the, that would be the best option, right? It's like that Gakuroto is able to manifest and have the relationship he wants as a gay man, and Yuriko just gets to kick it. <laughs> I want yeah, that. So from her. Yuriko I just, can be like, I want oh, her to just husband, be vibing. This is my husband's boyfriend. Yeah, I want, <laughs> I want her to just be vibing and thriving. Um, mm-hmm. But I really don't know how it's going to end, and there, there is a, small pebble of anxiety within me of like oh i don't know what's gonna happen Mm -hmm. (laughs) and maybe utica would be fine living by herself i'm getting the sense that she genuinely enjoys having this partnership so that's Mm -hmm. that's where where kind of my concern comes in but maybe she would be like totally okay with um if he ended up going off on his own and she was or with someone else and she was by herself um but i don't know we'll see um but yeah no utica is an imperfect character and i love that for her Mm. um we'll we'll be beating more imperfect characters as we continue down this list (laughs) (laughs) hey there annie fam we got so excited talking about acero representation in japanese media that we ran a super long so this episode is going to be split into two parts we hope you've enjoyed what you've heard so far if you did like what you heard tell your friends about our podcast and recommend they come take a listen as well and if you really like what you heard why not head on over to patreon.com backslash anime feminist and become a patron uh, for as little as one dollar a month and five dollars a month will get you a new bonus podcast as well as access to our private discord server where you can geek out with fellow feminist-minded anime and manga fans if you're interested more from the team and our contributors you can check us out at animefeminist.com or on tumblr twitter and mastodon at anime feminist and that's the show take care any fam and we will catch you in part two